0: You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Hello out there in podcast land. Welcome to Teller from Jerusalem. I am your host, Hanok Teller. Field Marshal Edmund Allenby, named after Allenby Street in Tel Aviv, commanded the Egyptian Expeditionary Forces, the EEF. And he defeated the Turks in Palestine. Vital intelligence information that enabled his victories was secured from the Aronson spy ring, which we have earlier discussed. The Aronson spy ring, the Aronsons provided him with information regarding everything he inquired about. The British troops had been held up in Gaza after two unsuccessful battles. Finally, Allenby deceived the Turkish enemy into thinking they would make a third frontal attack and instead attacked not from Gaza, but from Beersheba in the south, forcing the Turks to withdraw from Gaza, and this led to the capture of Jaffa and Jerusalem. And then Allenby did another deception that caught the Turks totally off guard, capturing tens of hundreds of Turkish troops, and he pressed on to Damascus and Aleppo, which forced Turkey out of the war. Herbert Samuel, who was also named after a street in downtown Jerusalem, was appointed the first High Commissioner of Palestine from 1920 to 1925. He was the first Jew to rule the land in 2,000 years. Herbert Samuel had helped Weizmann, who he had met in 1914, which was also a factor in the issuing of the Balfour Declaration. To appease Arab anti-Zionism, Herbert Samuel appointed the extremist Haj Amin al-Husseini as the Mufti of Jerusalem, thus investing within him the highest Muslim authority in Palestine. A mufti is a religious and legal authority who hands down rulings on everyday issues to believers in his jurisdiction. What Herbert Samuel did, bowing to Arab pressure, limited Jewish immigration, limited, it totally stopped Jewish immigration, and then restricted and restricted it, which earned for Samuel a lot of criticism from Zionists. Jabotinsky was his greatest critic. In coming episodes, meaning four and five from our current one, we will speak much about the Mufti khajamin El al-Husseini. Later in today's episode, we'll discuss the consequences of mistakes, or actually, that is going to be also in a subsequent episode, the consequence of mistakes a person can make, and more specifically, the tragedy of missed opportunities. Of course, everyone makes mistakes. Because you had a bad day. One down,
1: you sing a sad song just to turn it around. You say you don't know, tell me don't lie. You work at a smile and you go for ride. You have a bad day, you can't lie you come
0: back down and you really don't mind. You have a bad day, you have a good day. Everyone makes mistakes, and the mistake is not falling down. The problem is not getting up. If you're in a position of responsibility and authority, all of a sudden a mistake impacts upon many can have catastrophic consequences. The very first thing that you must do after making a mistake is to repair it before it festers and metastasizes. The next thing, not that this is easy, is to own it. A one example from the Bible is when God questions Adam and Eve, Adam and after eating from the tree and inquires, Ayeka, where are you? Obviously, this is not a geographic question, for God surely knows where Adam is. But rather, as Rabbi Saloveitchik explained, where are you? This is the pseudo-man. Where is the man that was committed to do my will and fulfill my commandments? Where are you? It's a question one must always ask themselves. Where are you? Are you on the path where you're supposed to be? And Adam's answer makes us cringe. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I am naked, so I hid. To this the Almighty responds, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? This is reminiscent of the story that someone once used to introduce me in England. And the story goes that in Meisharim, which is a very devout religious neighborhood in Jerusalem, So a Hasidic man was walking with his many children, crossing crossing the street. And all of a sudden, one kid jumped to the other side of the street. And the father said, what are you doing? And the boy explained that I saw some girls on the other side of the street. And I didn't want to have to look at them. And then the father slapped him. He said, what are you slapping him for? He said, who told him? How does he know what a girl looks like? So Adam is questioned by the Lord. Why did you hide? Who told you that you're naked? Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? And Adam famously and lamely responds, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. So God turns to the woman and asks, What is it that you have done? And she further deflects her guilt by saying, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. One of the commentators explains that the question, quote, What is it, Eve, that you have done? is a rhetorical question. What Eve did was abundantly clear. The purpose of this rhetorical question was an opportunity for Eve to express remorse, contrition, and repent. It was an opportunity for both her and her husband to own up to their action, but instead of owning up, they shifted blame to the next person. If you can't own up and accept responsibility, you will always shift the blame onto others and never rise to be a leader. As Jocko Wilnick expressed it, as all the difference between your ego governing you or you governing your ego. Former Navy SEAL Jocko Wilnick has made famous through the title of his book, Extreme Ownership, this concept. And I refer to one incident, the watershed for the SEAL commander, when he led his mission, his group, his soldiers, his SEALs, on a mission to capture a house in Iraq, which was a hotbed of terrorist activity, and the SEAL group was joined by a force of friendly Iraqi Allied soldiers, and Wilnick was the commander of the group. As the mission was going down, it became apparent that everything was going wrong. The Iraqis were attacking from one side, and the Americans were attacking from a different side. The net consequence was there was a crossfire of friendly fire and that cost the life of one Iraqi soldier and wounded a SEAL. In seconds, the mission unraveled into a debacle, and Commander Jocko Wilnick called it off. Clearly, heads were going to roll over this and at the debrief would be his commanding officer, the master chief, and the debriefing officer. There were so many people that shared responsibility for this debacle. There was a communication officer, there were people who didn't understand what they were supposed to be doing, there were people who misled. But that was not the conclusion that Jaco had come to. As he says, And I stood up before them and I asked them
1: one simple question. Whose fault was this? One of my SEALs raised his hand, and he said, it was my fault. I didn't keep control of the Iraqi soldiers I was with, and they left their designated sector, and that was the root of all these problems. And I said, no, it wasn't your fault. And then another SEAL raised his hand and said, it was my fault. I didn't pass our location over the radio fast enough so no one knew what building we were in and that's what caused all this confusion. It was my fault. And I said, no, it wasn't your fault either. And then another seal raised his hand. And he said, boss, this was my fault. And I said, no, this wasn't your fault either. And it wasn't yours or yours or yours, I said as I pointed to the rest of the seals in the room. And then I told them that there was only one person at fault for what had happened. There was only one person to blame. And that person was me. I am the commander. I am the senior man on the battlefield. And I am responsible for everything that happens. And I will tell you something. It hurt. It hurt my ego, it hurt my pride to take the blame. I had to take responsibility. And in order to do that,
0: I had to control my ego so that my ego did not control me. Herbert Samuel gave power to an evil man in the hopes that he, meaning Herbert Samuel, would appear more balanced. Herbert Samuel was a good man. His goals were lofty and his intentions were worthy. But his judgment, as Rabbi Berowine labeled it, was hopelessly naive. Samuel fought against the white paper adopted in 1939, and after World War II attacked the anti-Zionist policy of Ernest Devin, he played a leading role in trying to get Jewish children out of Germany before World War II. But he made a horrible mistake, a mistake that he did not retract. His goal of placating the Arabs was not achieved, and could never be achieved according to Grand Mufti's scheme, until every Jew in Palestine was eliminated, and as we shall see in the future episodes, his goal was not only to eliminate the Jews of Palestine, but indeed, like his Nazi collaborators, every single Jew on earth. Therefore, Herbert Samuel's administration as commissioner over Palestine, in admittedly very difficult and challenging times, could never be commended. By appointing a demagogue terrorist like Amin al-Husseini to appease the people was akin to to Marshal von Hindenburg appointing Hitler as Chancellor of Germany for no one else could form a government. No one could form a government for they did not have a majority. Their Nazis were also a minority and there is no hope of forming a majority in the Reichstag. So, if the Nazis did not have the necessary mandates how did Hitler take over the government? And the answer is pretty classic, with deceit, terror, imprisoning anyone who he perceived to be a threat or potential opponent, and create a sense in the country that there was danger looming, and the only solution to the tyranny of the Jew and the threat of the Bolsheviks taking over was to appoint himself, Adolf Hitler, as the Chancellor. So, the very man who had threatened for years to overthrow the Weimar Republic has now been appointed the Chancellor of the Weimar Republic under a clause called the Enabling Clause, or the Enabling Act, which enabled the Chancellor to enact dictatorial powers to prevent the overthrow of democracy. In other words, the wolf was let into the chicken coop to protect the chicken. Haj al-Husseini, the Mufti of Jerusalem, expressed support for the Nazi regime as early as 1933. You couldn't get earlier than that because the Nazis came to power in 1933. In october nineteen thirty seven, Husseini fled to Iraq. He was evicted by the I mean, the British were after him. He fled to Iraq, where he was central, and organizing the pro-Nazi insurrection in April nineteen forty one. After the British quashed the insurrection, he exiled himself to Germany and served the Axis countries, Axis countries meaning Nazi Germany and her allies, in their war against the Allies. Husseini disseminated venomous anti Jewish propaganda. And tried to persuade the Axis powers to extend their extermination plans, extermination plans for the Jews, to the Middle East and to North Africa. In spring of 1943, he mobilized and organized Bosnian Muslim units in Croatia that fought under SS auspices. In 1943, Hajmir Al Husseini protested to the Bulgarian foreign minister about allowing Jewish children to leave Bulgaria to Palestine. They should be sent to Poland, he insisted. But as I said, I shall discuss at length this thoroughly evil man in three and four episodes down the road. David Lloyd George was Prime Minister in 1916 through 1922, and it was under him that the Balfour Declaration was approved. David Lloyd George told Herbert Samuel that he was very keen to see a Jewish state established in Palestine. When he met Weizmann in 1914, he was was in a very responsive mood toward Zionism. Lloyd George was drawn to Zionism by his religious upbringing and he wrote and I quote I was taught more about the history of the Jews than about the history of my own people and as he was a Welshman he believed that it is the small nations that are chosen for great things as it proved so many times big things come in small packages for those of you not familiar Wales is the part of the United Kingdom on the West Coast that makes Britain look like it's pregnant The population is a little bit over 3 million and possesses the strange statistics of having four times as many sheep as people and more castles per per square mile than any other country in the world. Lord George was certainly correct that Wales is a small country among the nations of the world. He commented in 1937 that had the Jews taken advantage of the opportunity they had in 1917 with the Balfour Declaration, and become a majority in Palestine, then it would have become a Jewish commonwealth. This line of David Lloyd George gave me pause, and I'm going to repeat it. Had the Jews taken advantage of the opportunity they had in 1917 with the Balfour Declaration become a majority in Palestine, then it would have become a Jewish commonwealth. I've thought a lot about this. Had this opportunity not been squandered, and the doors of Palestine had been remained open during World War II, they would have been a haven for beleaguered European Jewry. Likewise, the Arabs would not have been able to perpetrate all their havoc and murder leading up to the state's independence. It just boggles the mind to think and imagine what would have happened had the Balfour Declaration been utilized to its fullest and made a majority in Palestine and made it a sovereign Jewish state. All of history as we know it presumably would have changed. And we're going to pick up this next time with what happens when you don't take advantage of an opportunity and lose out on lost opportunities. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit tellerfromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store, and just by inserting the TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform, or go to tellerfromjerusalem.com.